0: this is John Curry. Welcome to another episode of Secure Retirement Podcast. Today, I'm sitting with a gentleman that's going to blow your mind. His name is Stephen Harville. I've heard him speak before. Stephen is the creator of a company called Creative Ventures. Uh, Steve, it's good to see you again.
1: Thanks so much for having me. a chance to do the podcast. It was great to see you here in New Haven.
0: Well, I learn something new every time I'm around you.
1: (laughs) That's quite an honor.
0: Would you please take a moment and tell our listeners a little bit about your background? I think it's fascinating that at age 25, you were hired to do a big project with Disney and still do it.
1: Um, uh, My company's 32 years old. It's a strategic consulting firm. Our offices are in Dallas, Texas, but I live in Austin. Um, When I was very young, I had an idea for uh, a real estate company that I was working with. Um, We were planning ski resorts, and they implemented the idea. It became really effective, and the CEO of the company came and said, Steve, I want you to go to Houston and introduce this idea to the Urban Land Institute. And I said, I'm I'm not going to Houston and stand up and talk about something I made up. I'm a 25-year-old scientist right out of college And he said, uh, I understand. He said, you thought I was asking you to go. I'm telling you to go. (laughs) So I got on the plane, went to Houston. After I introduced the idea, a number of people came up to me afterwards, asked me if I could come and help their company do it. One of those companies was Disney. I said, I could absolutely do that. It's not that hard to do. And they said, how much do you charge for that? And I went, you can charge for that? Are you kidding me? (laughs) And that started the company that 32 years later is still actively working on strategy with companies all over the world.
0: Well, let me explain to our listeners where we are. We are in New Haven, Connecticut. We're at a Park Avenue Securities Conference on Retirement Planning. And yesterday, we had the pleasure of going over to Yale University and listening to some folks. And you told the group earlier that you're a scientist. You actually have a degree, I think you said, in astrophysics. In physics, yes, and in marine biology. marine biology. So tell me, how in the world does a scientist, because I have a lot of friends that are scientists at Florida State University, So how do you go from being a scientist to become a very successful entrepreneur in your world? You know, I I think to say that
1: I'm a scientist is probably an exaggeration, right? Because a scientist is a practicing person. I never practiced what I learned um, or what I got out of my college education. So I was always driven um, from at an early age by story. Stories fascinated me. I was a comic book kid. I'm a comic book adult. I've gone to the movies every Saturday since I was nine years old. Um, That idea of story fascinated me. And and I, I was always thinking that there would be a way to structure ideas around story to create some type of an impact around it. And that was really the idea that launched everything that we did was this idea that we could present in a really unique format our ideas so that they would be dynamic, have an impact, people would remember them, they'd be simple, they'd never exceed three parts. Um, and, and that's what we've kind of built the company around. And we have seven strategic platforms, seven different ideas um, that we work with companies on um, all the time. And so it was really more based on the idea that you look at things like a scientist does, right? In parts and pieces, um, you, lo- you look at them as having a connected element to them so that they reach an outcome. And from that moment on, it was just about using that stuff to implement our ideas and our ideas just happen to hit home.
0: Today in your workshop, you talked about elegant simplicity. I find that in our world of financial advising, it's too complicated, it's too complex. And I know if it's complex for me, I have to work, and I have to work at it, to find ways to present ideas in a simple way where clients feel comfortable with either the advice I'm giving or the products themselves. Would you take a little bit of time, please, and explain why it's so important to go from that complex down to the simple and why it's so dadgum difficult to do so?
1: We live in a, in a world that believes that complexity creates value, that more is better. Um, and so we're always thinking that if we can get more, we get more value, we have more impact, in, and that's wrong. Instead, what we're looking for is the right thing, not more of something, but the right thing. And the right thing is almost always a much more simple um, product, a much more simple presentation, a much more simple story than we ever think it is. And so we have to fight against this prejudice we have, thinking that more is always better. If your brain can overcome that, then you create this idea of restricting what you can do. You build, actually people talk about thinking outside the box. Simplicity is about building boxes. Because what you do is you limit your, your input. You say to yourself, I only have this much space. What can I do in that much space? Um, it's called creative restriction. Uh, and so what we look at is, telling, is helping people say, we'll create the box for you. You can do whatever you want within the box. You can't go outside the box. And it forces people to think differently about their content, right? If I told you you only had three pieces to the story you could tell a client, you would figure out how to tell the most compelling and impactful story in three pieces. Absolutely. And, and that kind of restriction is what simplicity is really about. It's about training your brain to think that way.
0: I love it. Uh, in my office, we have a philosophy, my team and I, uh, three full-time people that support me, April, Amanda, and Jay. We want to keep everything as simple as we can, but we still battle this thing about making it too complicated. And our clients love it because They'll say, look, I don't understand annuities. I don't understand investments. I don't understand the life insurance. But I do know that you understand me and what I'm trying to get. And that was my big takeaway today is I'm here. I'm glad that I come to these conferences. I learn. But the challenges you pointed out, when you get back home, there's a whirlwind of activity and narrow it down to the few things that you want to do. Maybe the one thing you said. The
1: one critical thing, we call it the OCT. And it's really hard to do. It's a staggering amount of discipline. You're already doing that. You already recognize that really what the story is about is your client's tomorrow, right? right. You're in the tomorrow business. You're protecting their tomorrows. Um, and, and that idea then creates the opportunity to weave stories around that one aspect, right? All stories have three parts of beginning, a middle, and an end. And so a, a good story is structured around those kinds of pieces. And so what you're really looking is what are the stories I tell my clients, right? What are the stories that I can connect the value of my knowledge to the value of their output, of what they need at the end of their journey, right? At the end of the journey of doing work with me. And you and I have met each other on a number of conferences before. This isn't the first one. And I, I, I think that the way your company positions that is the right way to look at simplicity. But you're right. It's always a battle. Yes. You're always battling against, oh, it's this. It needs to be that. It needs to be this. When it really doesn't. And it takes this staggering amount of, of <laughs> you, you know, Bob Dylan, the singer-songwriter, great singer-songwriter, Nobel Prize winner, Bob Dylan, said it's only about uh, three chords and the truth. Yes. And if you can build something around something as simple as that and you can do the stuff that he's done, yeah. that shows you the value of simplicity.
0: Well, I don't play guitar much anymore, but when I first started, the guy who was teaching me was, all you need is three chords.
1: Yeah, that's it. And most rock and roll songs are based on that simple pattern, right? And they build things in between the chords, right. but it's just the three chords. It, it, it doesn't have to be that complicated. And you know what people, people will flock to simplicity. Yes. They'll see you as different. They'll understand the connection faster than anyone else will that's in a complicated situation. It's just trying to fit it properly, and that's the challenge. And I thank God for the challenge because it keeps my company in business. Yes.
0: Talk a little bit about how people listening to this can apply some of your concepts in their day-to-day lives. They're not running a big business necessarily. My clients are people who are members of the flawed retirement system. They could be... Uh, a government employee, they could be a business owner, they could be a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant. They're a big, broad spectrum. So from a personal planning standpoint, whether it be their money, their time, their energy, their life, what advice would you offer them?
1: Let me give them a couple tools, okay? Um, One, and you may be surprised, but simplicity evolves around very simple tools, which is great um, for that. One of the tools that people overlook the use of is what is called the checklist. We call it the checklist format and that is creating a very simple form that allows you to make sure that every single time you do something, you're doing the right pieces of it. Because what'll happen is you'll repeat it, repetition will create a little laziness in the outcome, and you'll miss important things. So the creation of these checklist ideas, surgeons use them in surgery we talked about a little today, about the five elements that stop an infection and that how every surgeon has to check off those five things to be sure that they're done every single time they go into surgery. Those checklists are really important. So think about creating just very simple checklists around your ideas. If 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 you are if, uh, it's a planning idea, what are the three most important parts about that idea to make it happen? What are the three most important things you have to get done in a day? Not the five things, not the ten things. What are the three most important things? Make sure you're visual. They're in front of you all the time. And if you can create just even the use of a checklist, you'll simplify a lot of the things you think are going right in your head, and they're
2: not.
0: Correct. When you were sharing that story about the physicians, I'll tell you what I thought about it. And I use this every day. I have on my wall a picture of a B-52 bomber. Because when I was in the Air Force, I was a crew chief on the B-52. And we had to use a laminated checklist, pre-flight and post-flight, that you had to check everything off with a grease pencil. And it was imperative you do that because you had eight crew members' lives in your hand every time that plane took off or landed.
1: It's, it's a great example of using that. And people think of it as being a silly, um, uh, an old-fashioned silly thing. It is one of the most important simple tools you can use. And we have checklists in my company for every task that happens almost every day. So that I am sure that everybody in Dallas is doing the right stuff all the time. We utilize a thing called the OCT, the one critical thing every day. And we want to be sure we get that one most important thing done. And then everything else in the checklist to me is gravy.
0: I think anyone listening to this, if you just took the idea that Steve just shared of what are the three things I want to get done, and possibly maybe it's four if you count your OCT, because how many times do we get up, oh, I've got all these things to do, and you've got this big list, but if you forced yourself, the restraint you said earlier. Yeah, creative restriction. Creative restriction. Move it down to three, and maybe four counting your number one thing. So- how do you apply that in your personal life? You do the same thing in your personal life? I
1: do. Um, uh, and, and I wouldn't let you use that fourth item on your checklist. Oh, you would not? I would say the OCT is one and you get two other ones. Oh, got it. So it yeah. has to be
0: one of the three. It has to be
1: one of the okay. three. Um, the and, and people will do that. We call it the bleed. Um, people will say, um, here are my three things and here are the three parts of the first thing. And I go, no, 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 that's six parts already. <laughs> you only get one thing to do, the the elements of the... Of the of the uh, discipline around that idea of three. So I, I, I use it constantly um, in my life. So I'll have the list of the, the next three books that I'm gonna read. I already have them written down. I know what they are and in any order that I'm gonna read them. Um, I'll keep that list active all the time. Um, I'll hear something or I'll see something that will catch my eye and I carry a notebook with me all the time. That'll get in the notebook so that I never let it escape. One of the problems in, in complexity is things escape. They're ethereal, right? They're like fog. They're here in a moment. They're gone. But the more simple things that you can do and a more simple perspective allows you to capture them. And so all of the stuff that we do, we capture, never let it go.
0: I agree with that. And today you made a comment about if you're taking notes and how could you not be taking notes? I keep journals. I have them on a book. One entire bookcase in my home is just nothing but leather bound journals. And friends will will be critical and say, why do you pay $20 for a leather journal when you could just buy a legal pad? I said, because a legal pad, I will lose it. I will lose those sheets. Those leather journals will be there.
1: Yeah, it's amazing how when someone uses um, an artistic form of note-taking, that the notebook, the paper, the pen and pencil are very important to that process. Yes. They select a specific thing to use. They use it all the time. It's, it's part of that kind of the criteria of the habit of doing, Right. Is they select a specific one? We used to do, uh, and, and I've got idea notebooks that, like you, fill uh, a wall. But I used to have trouble going back and finding the ideas in the notebook. So when I wrote, when I was writing the, our late, my latest book, I went to a, a five by eight index card system. So all my notes were on five by eight index card, and then I filed them by the idea. And I thought, oh, my God, all those journals that I did, if I'd been doing the cards, right. I'd have found everything. Yes. So I made a big shift. One of the things about simplicity is you need to be flexible to new ideas, right? And so that was a huge shift for us to go to the uh, five by eight cards that we started probably a year and a half ago.
0: Yep. I like using four by six cards to keep notes for articles I'm working on. So I'll have them alphabetically. Really so good if idea. If I get an idea of something for our newsletter, I may not be ready to write that article but I can write it down and file it.
1: We have a huge thing for newsletter. We have a, a, a 30,000 circulation newsletter that goes out every month. And we have the newslet- I have the newsletter file and I have the blog file and I have the Over Coffee, which is our video series, a three minute video. You can watch while you're having your coffee in the morning called Over Coffee. And I'll have those categories and those are topics that I'll go back and I'll write on, I'll think about. I'm doing one on the relation of simplicity in the universe. Um, and I have all the notes on that. That's a magazine commissioned us to write that. Nice. Um, and so that's how I keep my notes also. Very simple and elegant methodology. I love it.
0: Would you take a few minutes and talk about the importance of narrowing it down to the three things though? Yeah. Because you talked about that, like the traffic light, you showed that. I, I believe we do think in threes. I don't know where I've learned that over the years, but I think we do think in threes.
1: There's a, uh, a process of simplicity called thoughtful reduction. And that's that capability of taking a, something that's large and making it smaller. Um, And to do that, in order to thoughtfully reduce something, you have to think. That's what the thoughtful portion is. It's not just reduction. So that large lists of large things can be made smaller if you think about them. And so you have to be able to place them in the right order, be able to see them is really important, scale. And so we we make sure we see everything in order to be able to know what to do. So we use Post-its a lot. We, so we'll use, um, we'll use large Post-its to build maps of the idea. We'll move the pieces around on it. We'll storyboard them on large sketch pads so that we can see the idea.
0: You'll hear some noise in the background, folks, because uh, we're at a conference and things are being done. Yeah, I'm broken so, down. So, uh, so bear with us just a moment. But Steve, let's go back to uh, for the last few minutes we have. Let's talk a little bit about why it is so important to narrow down to those things. I think intuitively, most of us know that our lives are becoming more and more complex. Supposedly, technology is supposed to make our lives better. Uh, you were sharing with one of my colleagues earlier, chastising him in a nice way about checking his emails too much and allowing him to disrupt his family time. So, why is it that we have all these tools? That are supposed to make our lives better, but it's made our lives more complex.
1: That's because we think anytime we get any free time, it has to be filled with
0: productivity. Yes.
1: That's, that's, that's wrong. Free time isn't meant to be filled with productivity. It's meant to be free time.
0: And allow your brain to rest.
1: Exactly right. So here, I'll give you a quick exercise to show you how to do that. Okay. Take um, uh, six Post-its, um, two each of the same color, right? So let's say there's two red ones, two yellow ones, two blue ones. On the two red ones, write the two most important things you have to do tomorrow. One and two. On the next one, the next color, write the two secondary most important things you have to do. On the last one, write the third things you have to do that are the third most important. So now you have two of the most important, two of the second most important, two of the third most important. Okay. Yes. Now take one of the most important ones and throw it out. You don't get to do it. (laughs) Take one of the second ones and throw it out. You don't get to do it. Take one of the third ones and throw it out. You don't get to do it. And you'll be shocked at how fast you'll make that decision. Wow. And it will show you exactly which of
0: those was the most important. Because now you have a visual representation. We use poker
1: chips. And we'll tell people, here are your poker chips. Here are the reds, the blues, the grays. You get to do your most important, second most, and third. Now, immediately, throw out one of your most important. That's You don't get to do that one. They'll look. They'll move it off. That's, that's how fast they're able to figure out what's important. Oh. Just that quickly because they see it.
0: That is a great exercise. And I would think that the sooner that we teach our children and our grandchildren uh-huh. how to do this, the better their lives will be.
1: Yeah, they're fighting it all the time. You know, we're, we're teaching our children the same way we taught our children in the 1800s. Um, we're teaching them for jobs that don't won't even exist. It, that's an entire different podcast on the problems with the way we're doing things. We're stifling stuff. We're... We're we're forcing pegs into the wrong holes and we're producing um, students that are very good at rote. They can win contests, but they can't independently think they can enter a math contest and win a math contest. But if you give them that problem out of the context of the contest, they can't solve it. Yeah, it's a big issue.
0: It's a big issue. And people are not paying attention. I love what you shared earlier because it's a pet peeve of mine is when I'm going to the store to give someone my money. They're not looking me in the face. They're ignoring me. It's like I'm a, I'm a headache. Would you share just a little bit of that story about yeah, the coffee? In, it
1: was in the coffee shop this morning. And they opened 10 minutes late, even though they committed on their sign to open at 6 a.m. It was 10 after. I went in and I said, are you, are you ready to go? Are you open? She had opened the door. No answer, just nodded her head. I said, OK. And I ordered coffee for my wife and I. And as she was uh, making it, she never looked at me. Um, as she rang me up, she never looked at me. She said, add your, put your room number and she handed the thing and I bent over and stuck my head down on the counter. So she would look at me in the face and I said, follow my head up. And she followed my head up and I said, you know, um, your tip is not based on your product. It's based on your personality. So why don't you smile just a little and look someone in the eye and you'll be surprised at how much money you'll take home tonight. She just looked at me and went, Hmm, obviously not that effective.
0: <laughs> I do that all the time and my wife gets angry with Mine me. Mine does too. <clears throat> but I will say, Look, if I'm giving you my money, I will put the bill out there, somebody will hold on to it, they'll go take it and I'll hold it.
1: Until they, until they look, up they at look me in the
0: eye. And it's a pet peeve because in my world I don't get paid nor should I get paid until I create value. If you're my client and I bring value, then we should do business. If I don't bring value, we should not do business.
1: It's the the idea that people think that transactional business is not important, right? Even though it's not a relationship-building business, it's straight transactional, they'll think it's not important. It is. It is important. It touches another person, so it's important. And I would spend more money training my transactional employees than I would spend training my relationship employees, because every phone call, every exchange of money, every question asked and answered is part of the deal.
0: Yes. I agree totally. Well, I know we'll get other things to do. We're still at this conference. Steve, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to uh, share this with the listeners. And we bring value by sharing things outside of the financial planning world that I'm in. And I just thank you so much for doing this.
1: John, I'd do anything for you. Just ask. Thank Thank you you so so much.
0: much. If if somebody wanted to receive information about your book or about... Uh, just your company Tell yeah them how to the get newsletter
1: tested. is free um, it goes out every month the blog is posted every two weeks you just have to go to creativeventures.com so creativeventures.com and uh, you can sign up for it there you have access to all the past newsletters you can order the books you can do anything you want from there see all the videos everything on the website. And we'd love to have you as a visitor and a subscriber.
0: And I would encourage you to do that. You'll find great information that will help you grow and be more creative in your own world. Again, Steve, thank you so much. I'm honored.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: If you would like to know
2: more about John Curry services, you can request a complimentary information package by visiting johnhcurry.com slash podcast. Again, that is johnhcurry.com slash podcast. Or you can call his office at 850-562-3000. Again, that is 850-562-3000. John H. Curry, Chartered Life Underwriter, Chartered Financial Consultant, Accredited Estate Planner, Master's in Science and Financial Services, Certified in Long-Term Care, Registered Representative and Financial Advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. Securities, Products and Services and Advisory Services are offered through Park Avenue Securities, a Registered Broker, Dealer and Investment Advisor, Financial Representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is an indirect wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial Corporation is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities. Park Avenue Securities is a member of FINRA and SIPC. This material is intended for general public use. By providing this material we are not undertaking to provide investment advice for any specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact one of our financial professionals for guidance and information specific to your individual situation. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, or employees do not provide legal, tax, or accounting advice. Please consult with your attorney, accountant, and or tax advisor for advice concerning your particular circumstances, not affiliated with the Florida Retirement System. The Living Balance Sheet and the Living Balance Sheet logo are registered service marks of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York, copyright 2005 through 2018. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities or Guardian and opinions stated are their own.